there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. No pills gonna kill my head. I got a bad case of loving you. The doctor is in. Welcome back, everybody. It's Advanced Medicine Monday, the medical rewind, my favorite part of the week here with my good friend, Dr. Rashid Batar. And uh, in follow-up to uh, last night's seminar we did on uh, the, the Economic Survival Series, if you will, we did uh, Be Prepared, Not Scared. I want to ask Dr. Batar this hour as well about things in that regard, in addition to all the things we cover in health and healing and so many areas that Dr. Batar has expertise in. Really honored that you could be here with me today. Very important, the things that are happening on the planet. We've got to cover it all. We'll do our best, Robert. Hard to cover everything, right, in such a short <laughs> amount of time. But yeah. I mean, you, could, you could probably be on the air, what, eight, ten hours a day and be, not be able to cover it all. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Every day that we're on, and I thought, wow, from two hours to two hours a day, you know, from a week, and it's still not enough, but we'll do our level best. And, you know, people do really appreciate the things that we're able to relate. I've gotten great feedback, so uh, I'm grateful that we can get together on this. Now, obviously, in the news cycle, still, the Japanese uh, radiation issue is, is, a, is a global phenomenon. It's not just a Japanese phenomenon. I've been covering things about the radiation that we've been talking about all week as well. And I think that's probably as appropriate a place to start, uh, you know, whether we hit the issues of selenium, sea vegetation, seaweed, things like that. But you also have worked uh, uh, very well with pulling these radioactive metals out of people. And I think this is another uh, avenue. We, we can't get enough of this information out, in fact. Well, Robert, it's interesting that, you know, there is obviously this big concern with the radiation, as there should be. And now some of the interesting things that you're hearing in the media where, uh, I don't know whether you heard about uh, on Fox, uh, I think Ann Coulter was quoted as saying that actually some levels of radiation are actually beneficial. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I saw that interview. I thought this girl is a publicity hound like no other. That She would go out and say, yes, uh, ionizing radiation is wonderful. Everybody should embrace it. I, like, <laughs> she knows how to get publicity. If she was serious, I'm not sure. But boy, oh boy, that was wild. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, the, there was there wasn't the... I mean, there's a level of uh, sarcasm that a person would say if they were saying it facetiously, but yeah. there was no facetiousness there. It was almost like, you know, again, the media being controlled, trying to uh, dilute the concerns that the public has by putting out this type of uh, garbage propaganda. And I'm sure that there are people that are have enough of a herd mentality that will actually believe that. And it's almost like sticking their head in the sand, like an ostrich sticking his head in the sand and not being aware of its surroundings it's almost kind of like okay well everybody's telling me it's okay it's actually good for me so i'm fine with it yeah i you know, know. It, it really is and it's a sad state that people would would fall for that but it's true uh so many have been brought up on the media and have become somewhat hypnotized every time something like that comes on and then they begin to parrot it out like you know nuclear energy it's safe until it's a disaster <laughs> well exactly exactly and then the two equated to the level of uh uh radiation that's being exposed you know it's no more than a cat scan or uh or an MRI, and the whole thing is that those levels that people think are okay are not okay, and um, especially on a continuous basis when you get le exposed to that type of a level, you know, once every uh, two weeks or once every month as they are when they're following uh, some type of a treatment plan, and that incorporates, you know, monitoring with a CAT scan or an MRI. Right. As as commonly seen, say, for cancer or whatever the case may be. And now you're looking at the same level of radiation, but that's a constant feed of that same level, yeah. which is extraordinarily toxic. And so we do have to be concerned with this. And 
So let me bring up one thing that you and I briefly mentioned uh, when I talked to you on the phone. Yeah. Talking about the, you know, what, what's the best way of getting some of these things out? We talked about some of the homeopathics and some of the things on, in a private conversation. But, you know, what people need to remember is that radiation from these nuclear power plants is being caused by the metals that are at the, at the um, core. Well, yeah, at the core, uh, correct. Exactly, at the core to generate that power. And these are uranium and plutonium are the more common, uh, they're the most common causes of radiation that's being used in, in power plants. Now, some of the people that may be listening, and obviously, Robert, you know, the most toxic substance known to man is uranium. Um, some people argue that it's plutonium, but remember, plutonium is not natural. Plutonium is man-made from uranium. Right, you refine it out in a really horrific process. And I talked last hour with uh, Liam Sheff about the fact that there's so much, uh, you know, when you talk about carbon footprints that Al Gore used to talk about and they pretend that nuclear is clean, they neglect all of the things that it takes to get to the point where the fuel rods are there producing it. And, of course, it's just a glorified steam engine at the end of the day. Right, right. And it's the uranium and the plutonium that is actually creating this power Essentially, like you said, uh, it's a glorified steam engine, but the power that's coming is coming from the uranium and plutonium, and the, that's where the radiation is actually coming from. And remember, uranium, plutonium, they're all heavy metals. Um, what we use for mercury is DMPS, and DMPS has four specific metals that has a very, very high affinity to bind to. Those are mercury, arsenic, uranium, and plutonium. You know, this is a this is an area of chelation where we haven't gone into great depth on because it's usually held within the medical circles of those who you know who have done advanced things such as you and in, in working with children that have become very metal toxic due to vaccination and other things. Uh, the DMPS is uh, you know a designation for something. Maybe you can you could spell it out if it's pronounceable. Sure, DMPS is dimercaptopropanosulfonate. It's a chemical that was actually originally. Um, discovered in uh, in Russia, and um, it's been probably used commercially for the last sixty plus, maybe seventy years now. Uh, I think it was in the nineteen forties that it was uh, it was developed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, certainly has been around since the fifties. And what's interesting is that DMPS has been utilized in the United States in the poison control centers, in fact, if you called call the National Poison Control Center and said that you've just been acutely exposed to mercury, they will tell you to go find a compounding pharmacy um, and get DMPS. At least that's what they used to in 2007, 2008. I don't know politically whether that's been changed now, but DMPS is approved into the, to come into the United States, but it is not approved for manufacturing. It's approved for compounding, but it's not approved for manufacturing, so you can't get it on a mass level, mass scale. In fact, our version that we use for treating children, the transdermal version that um, when, um, was announced when I testified in front of Congress in 2004, yeah. um, that particular version, it's a transdermal version, so you can just rub it in your skin. But DMPS essentially binds to these four metals. It'll bind to other metals too, but it has a very high affinity specific, specifically for mercury and uranium and, of course, plutonium and arsenic as well. And what it's doing is DMPS is molecularly... Uh, uh, binding to the metal uh, that, end, that, that binds to the terminal end of the protein structure 
uh, which is what we call the self-hydral groups. Each, all proteins have self-hydral groups that basically hold them in a uh, specific morphological state. So think of a train, if you will, mm-hmm. and train has these you know, various cars. Well, uh, a protein is similar to that, except it's take that train, um, t- take that cars, all the different cars that make up that train, and you kind of wad it, wad it up into a ball. And so that is what allows that protein to function that way. And the way that the right structure of that protein is held together, those, all those trains in the car, all the cars in the trains are being held in the right manner, they're bound by these things called self-hydro groups. And these metals have a specific affinity for the self-hydro groups. Let's use mercury as an example. Specifically, mercury has a has an affinity to bind to these self-hydro groups. At the terminal end of the protein, where that protein is, um, the, there's a methyl group there, the self-hydro group that's hanging on there. That's where the metals will bind to. And so we, can, we can't get into the central portion of that protein because if we do and we pull the mercury or, the, or the, whatever the metal is from the internal structure of the protein, it'll cause a disraveling uh-huh. of that protein. In other words, that's what we call protein denaturing, which is not right. conducive to life. So we have to make sure that we get to the area of the protein where we can get to the metal, pull it off, yeah. without causing a disruption to the integrity of the protein structure. So, uh, Dr. Batar, this is very interesting because, uh, you know, obviously this is going to become more critical as we talk about the, you know, basically the radiation and the heavy metal particles that are radiated stuck in people's bodies, not only in Japan but around the world. Uh, you know, obviously we would encourage increasing selenium levels, sea vegetation, these things that will help homeopathy. When we have a very, very toxic and aggressive scenario where, you know, it's a life and death, we've got to pull this stuff out, this seems uniquely to, to, to do an aggressive action, uh, it, you know, that's un, maybe more unusual than just a far afield exposure, although it may be beneficial there as well. I'm just fascinated in, into learning, uh, you know, what is the controversy from the medical side of things? Because you think this would be embraced. I mean, think about uh, the military forces exposed to this. You think they would, they would be all over this? Well, uh, it's interesting you bring up the military forces. The Undersecretary of the Navy uh, back in 2004 uh, right after my congressional testimony, and actually shortly thereafter, I was asked to come up there by Congressman Dan Burton for a press conference that was being held regarding the vaccine issue. And we met with the Undersecretary of the Navy uh, at that point again. And their their primary reason for wanting to meet was to be able to get the transdermal DMPS into their arsenal for the military, uh, specifically for the Navy. I don't know whether it was actually for all the armed forces, but obviously this was the Undersecretary of the Navy, so he was more looking at it from that perspective, and it could have been for the entire armed forces. Were they thinking in terms of the depleted uranium munitions exposure at the time or other nuclear catastrophes? What was their thought, do you think? Smart bombs and and dirty bombs. That's exactly right. Okay, so they knew that they had a way to to pull this stuff out of the soldiers in a very rapid manner. Now, you have utilized this, I believe, over the course of time in helping children as well. So it wasn't always about nuclear radiation. It was uh, you know, somewhat about the mercury and other heavy metals that were in, influxed into children due to modern medical interventions such as vaccination. That's exactly right. It, it wasn't ever to do with uh, that specific uh, utilization of dirty bombs or smart bombs, but the exposure you know, is, again, the first individual is getting exposure to these metals. These metals get into the body. And the most important thing, no matter what you do to protect yourself, the most important thing is to get these things out of the system as fast as possible. The longer they're in the system, the longer you're going to be exposed to them, the longer the radiation exposure, etc. So what you want to do is remove it as fast as possible. And you know as well as I do how important the, the minerals and all these other things are, Robert. But no matter how many minerals you have and no matter how much other stuff you have in your system to try to protect yourself, the most important thing 
is to eliminate the threat. And eliminating the threat is, again, coming back to the seven toxicities. You find the toxic substance, you remove it from the system, and then those protective mechanisms we're talking about become exponentially more beneficial yeah. and efficacious. Yeah, otherwise they're bound up, and it's a, it's a very serious situation. And again, you've dealt with the most serious in acute scenarios of these exposures, and the children were the, the ones that were harmed the worst in regards to the autism spectrum and everything related to it. Uh, but it's a fascinating discussion to me because now to expand out on your experience and knowledge in this regard and dealing with the, the acute radiation exposure that seems to be, uh, hopefully it's not worsening. I don't know. Things are still very fluid over there in Japan. But this is now, as I said, a worldwide phenomenon. We're looking at all of the options out there. And uh, I appreciate your candor in talking about these things because I know that even within the medical field, as we know, there are so many uh, what we call circles of controversy because uh, so many don't want to look at these uh, uh, substances that could facilitate accelerated removal. I don't know why. I, I suppose they say there are potential for toxicity if you use it wrong, which is true of anything, is it not? Well, yes, but it's actually not the toxicity from using – I mean the, the level of toxicity from using these substances actually is all based upon how it is being utilized. In other words, people say that a gun is bad because it kills, kills people and um, a, a car is good because it's a mode of transportation, but you put a drunk behind the car – you're going to kill people, and that gun becomes very important and necessary when you're trying to protect your family against an invader. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with the tool, but rather how you use the tool. Yeah. The toxicity issues or the, you know, the concern with the chelators is not uh, valid because the substances that we are pulling out of the system are far more toxic. And in fact, the concern with the toxicity of these chelators is because they're now concentrating these, these detrimental substances and taking them through a, a localized area of the body, i.e. the kidneys, to be able to eliminate them. So that's really where the concern comes in. You just have to be conscientious and judicious in how fast you remove them because you don't want to remove them too fast because right. then it's going to be too much within that particular system where those metals are coming through that can cause more damage. Just because the, normally your body's seeing, say, one million parts of mercury per, I'm sorry, one part of mercury per, per million parts of urine, now all of a sudden it's seeing 500 parts or 1,000 parts of mercury per million parts of urine. Wow. Wow. So that's the issue with the chelators. It, yeah. and so whenever people say, well, you've got to worry, be worried about the toxicity of the chelators, that's just, it, it's, a, it's an argument that's been made by somebody who actually either one, doesn't understand at all what they're talking about, or two, right. they truly do understand, but they're dependent upon the public's ignorance to make their argument. Well, not here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. We're, you're listening to a candid conversation with my good friend, Dr. Rashid Batar. It's Advanced Medicine Monday, the Medical Rewind. I love our conversations together because we go places that, you know, sometimes you can't even prepare for it, Dr. Batar, and and it just brings out information not available in any other setting like this. And on top of all the other things that you put out there, grateful that we get to do these things every week. Well, I'm very grateful that we have the opportunity to do so too, Robert. And, I, you know, I want to get also in, in, in beyond the radiation issue, which is very, very important, and it's on everybody's mind every day that we wake up and watch the news, see what's happening over there. And, by the way, Natural News is covering this 24-7 as well uh, to get other viewpoints that are not, let's say, conflicted with interests that may not be truthful. Um, but, you know, we, we're looking at survival issues like now. I think these things are being thrown in our face. We should always be prepared. But the reality is we've had a cushy kind of life in the West where we hadn't had to think about 
uh, you know, every morning you wake up, are you going to survive the day? Uh, you've been around the world. I've been to places in, you know, West Africa and otherwise where people don't don't wake up with the assumption that they're going to live through the day, honestly. They wake up and say they, they, they're they grateful. I mean, they say prayers every day to say, may I make it through? Uh, so their, their, vi- their vi- viewpoint on life is different. Their value on life is different. And I think that here in the West, we're now being confronted with potentially some of these issues as it's not only the nuclear radiation that brings us up, but the, the precipice of economic collapse that we're facing. And, you know, how you how you see this even delivery of basic goods and services, much less medical care in a transition or a reset. Well, it's uh, certainly going to be a challenge, I think, for all of us. Um, for whatever reason, it's um, uh, I believe it's sort of for lack of a better way of conveying it, a, a sort of cleansing, if you will, or, um, you know, detoxification of society, perhaps. That's what, that's a better way of looking at it. Yeah. But the the actual economic aspect and how that's going to impact each of us, it's going to vary based upon what each of us, you know, depends on on a daily basis. But for me, as an example, um, I told my nursing staff that places orders for some of our consumables for treatments. We have gone from our normal uh, amounts of of substance, whatever X, what it is, or number of bottles for ozone auto hemotherapy, whatever it is, uh, we have increased that by fourfold to mm-hmm. keep in stock just because, you know, if finances allowed it, I'd even go to a higher amount because um, I think that there will be a disruption of transportation where supplies will become, um, the, the ability to get supplies as frequently as we get them will become far less frequent. And uh, that's probably the biggest disruption. I mean, if that happens, it's going to affect everybody in, in every aspect from food, fuel, you know, water, um, supplies, whatever the case is. It'll, it'll affect everybody in every level. Yeah, these are the things that it, ta- it's, it takes some foresight to plan for and, and even um, uh, levels of courage to look at these things before it happens uh, that are just not part of our culture here in the West anymore. Certainly there are aspects in some communities and, and even religious backgrounds that have it as part of their tenets to be prepared always. And it's a responsible thing to do. I mean, look at how many times there have been just uh, disasters, whether they be hurricanes, earthquakes, um, you know, the more recent example from a few years back, Hurricane Katrina, where people were left completely unprepared, expecting that the government would come save them. And it should become uh, a patently obvious whether there's a Bush or an Obama in the White House, there is no way that the federal government is prepared to actually come in and rescue you in the event of a disaster of any kind. You're absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, food, water, uh, protection, those are the those are the fundamental things that we all talk about and we all need Um the medical aspect, obviously, from my perspective, is important to be able to make sure you take care of people from a medical standpoint. But you know what? Survival is first and foremost. And if the individual can't survive, they're not going to need any medical care. Um, it's hard to talk about prevention if, if the person isn't going to survive the day, as you put out. And uh, so, you know, food and um, food and ammunition and uh, more for even just water, if you talk about ammunition, but food, ammunition, water, uh, to me, are probably the the staple that people need to be looking at. Yeah, you've actually been in situations where uh, you understood the survival, of, uh, not only the instinct, but of course the preparation, what works, what doesn't. Uh, perhaps you can share some insight. I mean, some of the things that Mike Adams and I, the health ranger, talked about include what you've just mentioned, that you have to think creatively. It isn't only about gold and silver because you can't eat it when if, if there is a, a disastrous collapse of this magnitude. But there are other things that actually have worked well, and I've talked to people that have lived through situations like hyperinflation and how they did survive because life finds a way to move on. 
but certainly it's much better for you if you're prepared and able to interact in a different kind of economy. You know, it's uh, it's very important that you're discussing this, Robert, and uh, I hope that the listeners really appreciate uh, how you're bringing this up because there's very, very few, if any, uh, perhaps one or, one or two other things, places I can imagine that I can think of that may be talking this candidly. So I hope everybody appreciates you bringing up these uh, topics that a lot of people would not just because of the, uh, you know, being possibly accused of being fear-mongering or being, mm-hmm. uh, you know, negative. And none of this is negative fear-mongering. This no. is what, and I was an Eagle Scout. We would call this, you know, the bottom of the, of the Boy Scouts is be prepared. Yes. And uh, this is what we're talking about is preparation. So it's interesting you bring this up because my brother and I had a conversation about three years ago. And um, he was uh, converting all his um, wealth to gold at that time. And he, and he bought it at a reasonable time, you know, before it broke a thousand. Right. And he's talking about what he saw coming. And, and he and I have been very much alike as far as how we think and as far as what we believe is uh, about to happen. And similar to your belief in Mike's and uh, other people's. Yes. And one of the things that he mentioned to me when he was talking to me about how much gold he was in the process of acquiring, um, I told him, I said, that if what you think is going to happen, which I agree with, which when that happens and you're sitting on all this gold, remember that the gold is not going to allow you to feed your family or protect your family. Because if it's that level of collapse, uh, if that's what happens, the the value of gold it's gold is a great way of preserving wealth but you have to first preserve life yeah, exactly and gold will not preserve life <laughs> yes and uh, so that's where that conversation gone and and I personally um, you know I don't I don't think it's appropriate for me to say what I've been doing but yeah uh, um, you know what I've been doing and you know that it hasn't been in that arena it's been it's been more to preserve life well yeah exactly and a lot of the discussion in, in the uh, uh, this the be prepared not scared event last night was along those lines I'm just glad to, to see that uh, you know you're confirming exactly the way we should be going and thinking and preparing and and it isn't in fact fear mongering I've I've called it calm mongering because you know the only way you can remain calm in the face of such uh, adversity or or you know in in face of so many people panicking is because you have prepared you understand you've thought about the things that could happen, and you've done your level best. Obviously, there are situations that can surprise even the most prepared, but uh, by and large, when you are set in stage and thinking about these things, I, you know, I liken it like this. You know, my father uh, passed away on almost a couple of years ago, and it was difficult to talk about issues of mortality, right? And, and, and yet, it was important to prepare for those things, those eventualities, and it didn't mean that we were being negative or, or we were looking forward to death or loss. It was just literally a part of life that we've kind of shut, been shut down from, and I think it really sets us up for, uh, uh, let's say, control by others or even more tyranny when we're not prepared for a change or a reset in the way the economic system and other things work. You're absolutely right, Robert. This is one of the things that that personally is so important to me. And I will tell you the way I, part of this I said in the book, but I'll just further that a little bit. Where I have this, one of my favorite sayings is where attention goes, energy flows. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody would say that, well, then if you're talking about this negative thing that could happen, then that's where your attention is going. No, that is incorrect. That is realizing, and, and, and this is like driving down the road and having an empty tank of gas and knowing that you're going to run out of gas and going, you know, I'm going to be positive, I'm going to be positive, I'm going to be positive, I'm going to be positive. <laughs> you're still going to run out of gas. 
Okay, and you're going to be stranded on the road. Being prepared is saying, okay, I know I have very little gas. My attention is going to where my attention goes is where energy is going to flow. So my attention is going to go to find the closest gas station I can, so I can replenish my tank, so I can continue in my journey. So your attention is being focused on the positive aspect of getting prepared, not on the negative aspect of the occurrence that is inevitable. So. When you say, well, you're being, if somebody were to say that you're being fear-mongering, you're putting your emphasis on the wrong thing, that is absolutely incorrect. Nobody's putting emphasis on the negative event. It's right. recognizing the warning signs around you and taking that and preparing it. It, it reminds me of um, the story that I tell my patients, and I don't know whether you and I have shared this, but I'll tell, quickly tell the story. Sure. Uh, there's a, is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. So there's a a valley that's about to be flooded and those rangers come into this uh, valley and they warn everybody that they need to be leaving because in the next couple of days they're going to flood the valley and make a lake out of it. And uh, I don't know whether it was because they were trying to prevent a nuclear power plant from going up and creating a hydro dam. I'm not sure what the reason was, but regardless. <laughs> so they're, they're talking about they're going to flood this valley. They're going to uh, need to get everybody out. And one particular homeowner says, no, I'm not leaving. God will take care of me. Mm. Well, they start flooding the valley a couple of days later and the water level starts to rise. It collects on the first floor of his house and a four-wheel drive vehicle pulls up and there's a number of rangers in there and they say, jump in the back of the truck, we'll take you to safety. And the man says, no, no, God will take care of me. He will not forsake me. So the rangers drive off, water level continues to rise, comes up into the first floor of the house. Now he's standing on the second floor. A boat pulls up, some more rangers say, jump in the boat, we'll take you to safety. Same story. No, God will not forsake me. He's never forsaken me. He's not going to forsake me now. Water continues to rise. Boat takes off. Now the man's standing on top of the roof. He's hugging the chimney, and uh, a helicopter comes over. They lower a boom through a loudspeaker. They tell him to grab hold of the uh, rope, and they pull him to safety. The man waves him off. You know, the pilot doesn't know what he's saying. He goes, I don't know. The guy's waving us off. So you know, the man's yelling, God will not forsake me. So the chopper leaves. The house finally collapses under the pressure of the water, and the man's struggling with all the water and debris, trying to keep his head afloat. And in his last gasp of uh, air that he can have when his strength is totally gone and he's just, you know, dr- drowning is inevitable. His last gasp when he comes up for air, he looks to the sky and he goes, God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> and the skies part and God says, I sent you a ranger in a boat. I sent you a ranger in a truck. I sent you a ranger in choppers. What else do you want from me? <laughs> oh, you know, man. So God doesn't forsake any of us. It's yeah. like, if we're, we've got that same mentality, I'm not going to run out of gas. I'm not going to run out of gas. I'm not gonna, yeah. that's, that's the type of thing we're talking about trying to stay away from. Rejecting and, the help that is being offered. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and what we're talking about here for, for every person, I believe that they should be aware that what we're talking about is not because of some great evil that's going to descend upon us or something strange like that. It's going to come down to the the, the element that I believe is going to happen is going to come down to the difference between those who have and those who have not. Those who have prepared, those who have not prepared, those that who have food, those who do not have food, those who have shelter, those who do not have shelter, those who have water, those who do not have water. And it's going to be that turmoil that those who have not prepared, don't have water, don't have food, don't have um, uh, uh, shelter, yeah. they are going to go for the people that do have it because in moments of desperation, people will do extraordinary things. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about, preparing ourselves. And if we all prepare, we don't have anything to worry about. Exactly. And uh, that's, it's very important to do. And, and those that have a very good heart about them and, and really look to help others to provide charity, if you have not yourself prepared, there's no way possible that you can provide that level of charity that you believe is right and true and all of that 
unless you have done the things we're talking about. This is a candid conversation here on Advanced Medicine Monday, the Medical Rewind with Dr. Batar, and covering the the uh, issues of preparedness today. I, I can't I can't say it's 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 more appropriate than any other day, but boy, it is appropriate. Uh, Mike Adams and I just did a preparedness seminar. Be prepared, not scared. You recognize be prepared is very critical. Um, that will be available, by the way, for download if those who couldn't attend it, to it. So make sure if you're not already getting the natural news updates, you'll sign up there. I'm sure you are. As well as uh, we talked about uh, food storage issues uh, in that event, as well as uh, the homeopathic things to address radiation in addition to what Dr. Batar has shared with real event, uh, real crises in regards to how do we get this stuff out of people. And that may be a difficult thing because the delivery systems are not there, but I know, uh, Dr. Batar, you're working your level best to maintain some level of ability to deliver despite the worst-case scenarios. Our, our goal is to be able to try to help as many people as we can, but the truth of the matter is, Robert, that uh, if if that level happens, I mean, there will be no way that for our small practice to uh, be able to sustain the demand. We we have a we have a problem sustaining demand just currently as it has been in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I say small practice. We've got a pretty large practice, but still, I mean, compared to the greater gamut, I mean, it's nothing. It's not even a you know thimble in an ocean. Um, so th- they are things that people can do, obviously, to protect themselves and and um, and do the best that we we're doing the best we can one of the problems is we have a solution that would affect and and effectively help everybody but the current governmental regulations to that define the difference between compounding versus manufacturing are so stringent and the fda has their hands on this so tightly that there's no way you could uh, manufacture to keep up with the demand and in fact um you know this compounding aspect has been uh, something that compounding pharmacies have been fighting with for decades the the semantics between manufacturing and compounding as we've discussed before in the show yeah exactly and if we talk talk about uh, preparedness as well i think one of the great concerns that anybody with family members that are elderly have is the reliance upon mo- what we call modern medicine mar- modern pharmaceutical medicine and I, I think, you know, and maybe get your perspective on this, but this is a reflection of our, our straying away over the 20th century from the natural universe, natural world, and relying more on synthetics and other toxins. And that inevitably it led to this dependence upon synthetic pharmacology as opposed to graceful aging as still can happen in, in, in remote regions of the planet where people grow to over 100. We don't even know how old. And they're not, not dying necessarily of diseases. Uh, they just get tired of being here, <laughs> you know. They've done their life, and so right now we're looking at a, you know generations that have grown to, to to depend upon drugs, and that may not be available in the same way in such a reset because the governmental power structures with support and prop up a mon- an artificial monopoly for a market for those things may no longer be there in that same sense. So we're going to be forced to live differently. Now I think in the big scheme of things, Doctor Batar, this is going to be good for all of us, but in the transition, it's going to be rough. I totally agree. It's uh, going to be very good for humanity. I mean, for the global societies, it's, it, it's necessary. That's why I referred to it as a cleansing, a detoxification of society, because it's it's high, you know, overdue that we revert back to some of the things that have allowed uh, mankind to be on on this planet for so long. And I can uh, tell you, just from the medical standpoint, just from just from understanding how the the medical realm is working, that we can't sustain this model. I mean, we we see how it's failing miserably. Um, just in the medical aspect, we're not talking about economic or you know global finances or any of that stuff. I'm just talking about from a medical standpoint. You know, the body wasn't designed to deal with this type of stuff on, uh, on this type of a chronicity type level, and um, 
not just the pharmaceutical aspects, but what we, you know, as far as foods, how, what type of foods we're getting and how we're eating, yeah. uh, to the type of uh, things that we're breathing in, things you can't, you're not even aware of that you're breathing in, like this radioactivity aspect in, in um, Japan. A lot of this exposure to people is going to be just from the winds that are blowing, and, and then the radioactive material will settle wherever it's going to settle. It's going to get into the soil, and it's going to get into the foods and crops and mm-hmm. produce that we're eating and consuming. And so, how do you prevent yourself? You know, you could be eating totally organic food, and yet that food has these contaminants in it because it's in the soil, it's in the water, it's in the air. You can't yeah. get away from it. You don't have to add the stuff in the pesticides and the insecticides. It can just be there because it's within the the entire circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everything coming down into the ground and getting absorbed and being produced in the produce we eat it, and, and that's how we get it's into our system. So, no matter how do you how do you protect our organic field? Right. That's done everything right, but when the winds come in and this and this uh, radioactive material settles down on the ground, how can you protect that? You yeah. can't. Yeah, well, I, I reference uh, this, and I'm going to interview a doctor who survived the radiation exposure of Chernobyl uh, back uh, back when that occurred in Europe and uh, was uh, had some very severe radiation sickness that happened. And the story of what she did is fascinating, and it, and it goes right in line with all the things we're talking about. They actually uh, started utilizing a lot of greenhouse technology as such to kind of uh, protect the food from the fallout. But, yes, it wasn't possible to completely eliminate it, so we had to be extra uh, diligent and vigilant in in regards to these issues, knowing the things that bind these metals to pull them out constantly. And there are survivors that are still alive today, 60 years later, plus uh, of Hiroshima Nagasaki, who ate a, 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 a diet rich in selenium and other substances that will help to bind these out. So nature does provide a way in really extraordinary extenuating circumstances, but we can't just rest on it, like you said, of, of uh, you know, I hope that gas just appears from the sky and fills the tank. You, if you know you're going to run out, Please be prepared, get ready, and fill that tank back up. You're absolutely absolutely correct. And this is something that more and more people, as they realize and they start doing something about, the more people that actually do get prepared, the less we'll have to worry about some of this stuff happening. Yeah. I, Rob, I, I, like, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say something about this green uh, greenhouse technology aspect. Too. I'd like to mention, talk about this a little bit. And, sure. And also talk about what I believe is going to be the new world currency, which I think will be relevant. But uh, let me yeah. Let me, finish that thought that you had. Well, no, no, that's fascinating where you're leaping to because, again, if we're talking about food production in the future, let's say it gets disastrous and background levels of radiation like around Chernobyl go up everywhere. Uh, We really have to take, you know, become cognizant of that fact and then do other things, techniques that may work for us to minimize some of that for our food uh, production, which changes things a lot. Obviously, we're supportive of more of the organic uh, uh, methods of, of production. But as you say, if we're going out in the world and it's always being exposed, then we realize we're having that exposure by the very consumption of those foods, yet we can't stop eating. So we've got to find a way to move forward uh, also without having emotional collapse because of the thought forms about what's, what is happening as well. Well, this is where the subject of uh, when you mentioned the greenhouses, it, it became very important in my mind that I may want to mention this. And I've, I've only briefly mentioned this to you in the past, but for the listeners, if anybody has an interest in this, um, there's actually a book that was written by a good friend of mine, uh, Robert Plar, who created a house that some people may be familiar with called Angel's Nest. It was a place in, La, in Taos, New Mexico, that was fully sustainable, totally off the grid. Um, everything from water 
they would collect the water from rain catchments, and then they had uh, greenhouses that actually helped to insulate. I mean, the temperature extremes over there were extraordinary. They'd go, you know, during the day, in the summers, it would be 110 degrees, and during the winters, it would be uh, below zero, with wind chill sometimes being below negative 20, negative 30. You walk out instantaneously, things would freeze. Um, And he was able to do this all off-grid using the greenhouse technology for not only food, but also uh, to capture the water, the condensation, uh, use it for as a barrier for heat and and uh, and cooling. Phenomenal uh, structure that he built, and he put a book out, and it's called uh, I think The Art of Sustainable uh, Living or something to that extent. I can't remember. In fact, we have it on PDF, and uh, I think I can convince him to actually provide a copy free for anybody. It's mostly that would all be pictures, great. It would be great if you could do that. I will, in fact, call him today after the show and see if that's okay. But for people that are listening to this, that have an interest in Robert, especially for the people that listened yesterday, I didn't know that the show was called Be Prepared, um, but that you did with Mike, uh, yeah. with a few thousand people that were listening or whatever it was. Yes. Uh, those, for those people and for the people listening today and for anybody in the future that has an interest in this, I believe, and I can, I, I, will, I will give you the, the basis of this belief, but I believe that the future currency is not going to be a currency based upon gold or silver or not even food uh, or ammunition, which I've, I've done a lot of stuff with food and ammunition. Hold, hey, hold that thought, Dr. Batari. You want to talk about a, a teaser, a cliffhanger? When we come back from this break, we're going to get from Dr. Rajiv Batar what uh, his perspective is and very well learned and thought out and investigated uh, maybe the new currency. Uh, in regards to things after a reset occurs. We're talking about all kinds of things in, in a new economy. And this is in follow-up to Mike Adams and I's my uh, uh, seminar we did on Be Prepared, Not Scared. Dr. Batar is fitting right into this so well. And we got lots more to do on the Medical Rewind, Advanced Medicine Monday, right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Stay with us. Things you learn here are invaluable, priceless, in fact, Dr. Batar. So grateful that uh, you would join me as well. Well, Robert, as always, I'm, I'm happy to be here every Monday and um, really am looking forward to it more and more every Monday. I've been getting people that, um, patients of ours, tell me that they've been listening to the show and how much they enjoy it, which uh, I didn't even know that our patients were listening, so that's actually great. Yes. Um, but it, it, is a, it is an opportunity to share with people how we truly believe. And I was uh, saying before the show, uh, before the uh, break, um, about what I think is, you want me to finish that thought? Or do you oh, want- yeah, actually, you know, people are waiting with uh, on it, pins and needles. Dr. Batar, what is it? What is this new economic exchange? What is it going to be if it's not gold, it's not silver, it's not bull? I mean, all the things that we can say in a short term may be, what does the reset bring about? What do you visually see? I believe that the new form of currency, Robert, is going to be energy. And it's going to be those that can produce energy. And obviously, we see with more of these uh situations with the nuclear power plant disruption secondary to a natural Mm. disaster from the earthquake. There's going to be more and more uh, of these types of things happening. We've seen hurricane incidents increasing, tsunamis, et cetera, et cetera. But I believe the new form of currency is going to be energy production uh, in a way that is safe and that is uh, consumable by everybody. And um, for those people that may have an interest in this, because I'm talking about Transfer of wealth. I'm not talking about, you know, how do you, if you have $500, what do you put that $500 in now to have something in the future? Right. I'm talking about, you know, the new, the new form of currency, I believe, will be energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wrote a cover letter for a business plan for a company that you may want to, you, you've already actually know about it, but if yes. anybody is interested in this, go to Planet 
CPR, P-L-A-N-E-T, planet, CPR, like cardiopulmonary resuscitation, dot org. And uh, you can read about it there, and actually we'll have a link for that free book there if that's what, if your people want. I would love they, that, yes. And there's a very extensive uh, component. And anybody's interested, go to planetcpr.org. If you have any questions or you want to know how uh, you can get involved with what I'm talking about, send an email through that uh, email link. I think it's info at planetcpr.org. And um, then we'll talk more about it because some of the stuff may – obviously we don't have enough time to talk about everything, but I sure. do believe that – even more important than, I mean, just look at our dependency on, on electric power right now. Even yeah. more important than uh, the the things such as we talked about with the gold and silver that you talked about. It's it's not going to be something that's going to allow you to feed your family. And, of course, food is another thing. If anybody's interested in a great, great food source that is very nutritious, that is preservative-free, that is prepared to be not only taste-wise, but also from a nutritional viability standpoint, good for 15 years, send an email to info at uh, com and just put down uh, reliable food source in the subject matter, and we'll get you the information. Great. This, this is an important thing, Robert, because mm-hmm. there are so many people out there now that are complaining. I've had probably a dozen emails over the last six months for people that have started to uh, collect some... Uh, reserves of food, but they found that since Y2K, there have been companies that have stores of food since Y2K that are still trying to get rid of those supplies. So this food is already 10, 11 years old. Right. And, uh, so you have to be very conscientious of where you're getting the source of food and how old is the stored form of food because if you get it now and it's only good for another two years or a year, then it may not be viable for you to feed yourself and your family and your loved sure, ones. Sure, sure. And that was definitely a big part of what we discussed last night, the Be Prepared Not Scared seminar, storable organic foods as well, if we can get the quality we want them, protecting from uh, bisphenol A and the canning process as well. I mean, there's a lot of things to consider, but, you know, in a, in a wholesale breakdown, you know, food is is going to be very important, even if it's not the perfect quality. We recognize that. But still, while we have the opportunity to do that, provide for our families, uh, in a new uh, reset-type economy. But coming back, uh, Dr. Batar, to the energy thing, br- absolutely brilliant, another brilliant stroke. This is one of the things, that, and last hour, I talked with uh, Liam Sheff about this very thing, the, the energy production. I mean, that really goes to the heart of everything. We can talk in terms of uh, medicine and in other aspects of the economy, but really, if you talk about energy, it's been a monopoly, whether it be the so-called oil-based economy, which initially was the upstart of entrepreneurship, uh, eventually was lobbied into a monopoly status with a lot of money being funding it so that it could suddenly have an infrastructure around the world uh, or here in the U.S. too. And then we look at the issue of nuclear, which could not exist without corporatism, massive taxpayer, uh, let's say, funds being redirected, misallocated into a very dangerous form of energy. Oh, yeah, it's safe until it goes wrong. Then it's disastrous, you know. And, and of course, many of these other forms of energy, the discussion I had even with David Steinman, the Green Patriot, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, is it the government that gets to decide or is, it, is there a way that we could see a, uh, um, what we call a, moving out into a, I don't know, diaspora is the right word, but decentralization where local production via innovative new technologies springing up. And that would be the wellspring of, as you say, the new currency. Well, this is this is something that I think, from an uh, from an investment standpoint, more and more people that have been investing in technology and in energy production, they're looking at these renewable sources more. And I'll tell you, Robert, that if people go to the plantcpr.org, 
read about uh, one of the people on there. Name is Joe Holden. Joe Holden is my partner who developed the uh, afterburners for the jet engines. He developed. Yeah, the, that, that's amazing. Holden, uh, he's very, he's famous in that regard. Yeah, he's the guy who actually stole the Russian MiG during the Korean War. That some people believe. Uh, I mean, this is you know movies. Uh, there's like two different people that supposed. They to be did here. that movie Clint Eastwood, the uh, fi- Firefox or Foxfire. Remember, it was based, I think, on that story of the stealing of the Russian MiG. It, it may have been. I'm not sure about that. I know they've talked about uh, doing a documentary on Joe, and uh, uh, but he's one of my partners in this. It's his his story is phenomenal. He um, led 17 missions behind enemy lines uh, during the Vietnam War. Freed over 500 POWs. Um, when he um, stole the Russian MiG, it was interesting. He parachuted in. They caught him, and they broke both his arms. Uh, he was a POW. They broke both his arms so they would prevent him from escaping. Wow. He escaped and came back 12 weeks later, parachuted in again. This time he was successful, got the MiG, got shot in the stomach um, and was bleeding, but got into the MiG, took off, had three MiGs chase him. He was able to take one out himself and then <laughs> – uh, had a handheld radio that he communicated with the NATO forces, and two interceptors came and basically took out the other two MiGs and then escorted them back into friendly territory. And that Rus- Russian MiG is still, um, you know, it's the, the the U.S. It's somewhere here in the U.S. and somewhere. Yeah. In, well, this, this is a guy you definitely want to work with. You know, he's not going to give up for nothing in in developing these things. This is so cool. Planet- well, he's developed so much, though. He has yeah. developed. I mean, the the current technology that's being used by all the warships. Uh, yeah, uh, he developed all that stuff. He developed all this technology, and he has developed a hydro turbine. That's you can do a search under him. You can find uh, all sorts of videos of him talking about his hydro turbine. But we've got him on the Planet CPR. And that's really one of the things that we're in the last phases of uh, now developing a model that is actually manufacturable on a global scale. And then, of course, there's wind technology, and current wind technology allows you to make power at between 10 and 12 miles an hour with wind uh, turbines. But what we have, and we've got a prototype, we haven't finished everything yet. Hopefully, it will be within the next three months or four mm. months. Um, but it will allow us to generate technology between three and four miles an hour and possibly down to one to two mile an hour breeze will be able to generate. Wow. You know, this is fantastic. So exciting. You never know, again, when you're with us on the Advanced Medicine Monday, the Medical Rewind, all the different areas that we can go to, Dr. Batar and I. And, uh, you know, energy has been a big topic today on the program. Uh, and I didn't even realize some of the things we, we get into. And this is always a wonderful surprise. So if everybody wants to check that out, planetcpr.org, you'll learn a lot more of the options, the, the positive things that are happening, the innovation, the entrepreneurial skills that are still being applied even in a reset life will go on but we got to prepare and dr batar i want to thank you so much for helping us to do that each week here on the medical rewind well i appreciate you uh, giving me the venue to be able to do so robert dr batar you're only here with me once a week it's not enough but we do whatever we can and you have ways that people can learn more about you i always encourage people to get your books and there's lots of videos and things but let everybody know where they can learn more well there there are a number of different sites that are uh, available to people for resources, but we've got them all uh, in one location so people can pick and choose whatever information they need, and that would be at medicalrewind.com.